Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. Basically, restoring ecosystems will, in the long term, help you increase your water quantity and water quality, not only within the city boundaries, but beyond that. So I would say in the watershed. And if you want to look a little bit more, you would still consider beyond your watershed because we have so many transfers, uh, not only, as I said, in terms of water, but in terms of energy and food. So the water, energy, food and nexus, for instance, if you take that really seriously, then maybe you're going to think of water governance beyond your own boundaries. Claudia Coleoni is a researcher at the Stockholm Environment Institute at Latin America Center and academic visitor at the University of Oxford. She helps provide technical and scientific support in the implementation of strategies and projects related to water management, river basin planning, and sustainable sanitation. As part of the Stockholm Environment Institute's water initiative, she's currently working directly in the Bolivia WASH program called Thinking Connected Hydrology to ensure both clean and available water in priority river basins in Bolivia. She helped frame the 2020 to 2024 Stockholm Environment Institute's strategy around the Sustainable Development Goals. The mission is to support decision-making and induce changes towards sustainable development around the world by providing integrated knowledge that bridges science, policy, and practice in the field of environment and development. We hope you enjoy listening and keep on SDG talking. Water stress is a common term that we commonly hear in the news, but water stress is not just one factor. Tell us what is water stress and what are some of these contributing factors that contribute to water stress? Thank you, Kevin, for for the question. I think water stress is indeed one big issue that we've been discussing at different levels. So this can be either seen in the urban side or the rural side. And I would say water stress uh, can be related to water scarcity in a way. So you can discuss that within a natural perspective. So in terms of climate variability, in terms of rainfall patterns, but most importantly, given our society, given our consumption patterns, given our population growth, there's a lot of it related to water management. So for instance, we usually think that you know, water scarcity or water stress is basically due to a lack of water availability, especially in large metropolitan regions. But if we look at cities, one important thing to notice is how we conceive our infrastructure. So most of the times we're talking about uh, gray infrastructure, we're talking about creating extensive pipelines, importing water from distance with distant watersheds, And all of this combined with climate change and climate variability will definitely decrease our water availability. And on top of that, water quality as well, because as I mentioned, consumption patterns, the way we have been producing food and basically polluting our rivers, this is also related to our increasing water stress. So I would define it not only in terms of climate variability or rainfall patterns, but also I would put on that the topic of governance, which is related to water management and how we have conceived our cities particularly. 
also inequality, who has access to water, who has access to those services. And economic growth, because you have all this recent, rapid, widespread, sometimes not organized economic growth happening within cities, which are all together combining to water stress. So obviously not just one thing. And you make that clear. And, and I find it interesting when you talk about the water management and water governance, uh, because a lot of times it's whoever's in power has a dis- the capability to make action with lack of water or too much water. And I think to, to maybe some people, they think, oh, this area has a lot of water. We don't have much water. Uh, let's move it. Uh, I know in China, there's the south and north water diversion that's that's still in the process right now. How does that dynamic of water management and governance play a role? And maybe give us an example of, within your own research, the water governance mm-hmm. and water management has either helped or actually made situations worse. I'll give you an example of the city of Sao Paulo, just because I was there at the time that there was a huge water crisis. This was back in 2014, 2015. And when you think of Brazil, for instance, you think of a country that has a lot of fresh water availability, which is true. But then when you look at the distribution of it, you will realize that the most populated regions actually do not have much water. And uh, on top of that, the rivers that are basically crossing the city are not really of good water quality. So what happened there in that sense, uh, in terms of water governance, there wasn't much investment on basically cleaning up the river, but there was a lot of investment in basically withdrawing more water from distant regions. And that put a lot of pressure on neighboring cities, which generally have more difficulties in managing their own budget at the municipal level. And that led to a lot of water scarcity in small cities. And on top of that, the great metropolitan region of Sao Paulo just kept extracting more water rather than looking at the water sources that were readily available if they had better managed their budget and investment, especially in technology, because we know there is technology available. So this is where I see water governance playing a role. And I must mention that water management isn't happening just at the city level, because if you concentrate only at uh, administrative boundaries, you're definitely not reaching water governance as a whole. So you need to think of it beyond your own municipal boundaries. You need to look at the watershed, for instance, and you need to see what sort of transfer do I have in terms of like water availability, but also in terms of food, where am I getting my food from, who's actually producing it, and the industries where most of the times there is a lot of domestic industrial pollution that also puts an additional strain to the system. So this was one example back in 2014, 2015, Sao Paulo, and one change that happened because of water crisis, which, you know, as bad as it sounds, it does promote a little bit of management change, was basically to consider a little bit more of the green infrastructure and how basically restoring ecosystems will in the long term help you increase your water quantity and water quality, not only within the city boundaries, but beyond that. So I would say in the watershed. And if you want to look 
a little bit more, you would still consider beyond your watershed because we have so many transfers, not only, as I said, in terms of water, but in terms of energy and food. So the water, energy, food, and nexus, for instance, if you take that really seriously, then maybe you're going to think of water governance beyond your own boundaries. Well put. And then I do love that phrase where you, you should never let a crisis go to waste. As bad as something can be, you, hopefully you can use a crisis for some type of change. And that applies in so many of the different uh, situations around the world. And on a separate note, I, I grew up in Los Angeles. And a lot of times when California going through a very big water crisis, many people are always like, well, there's so much water in the ocean. You know, just use desal. And desal is one example of an alternative solution to water crisis and water governance. But as you had mentioned, sometimes actually finding ways to use technology to conserve a gallon of water is much more effective than trying to produce another gallon of water. And you alluded as well to some of these other creative solutions that may not directly look like you are it may be addressing the problem, but you are indirectly. So what are some of these, you mentioned some of these natural climate solutions, like walk me through what, what are natural climate solutions and how can they be identified and how can they be implemented? Perfect. So it goes really well with the lines that you said. It's something that you might not see. It's readily available, but most of the times it's not applied because either you don't have an economic value assigned to it, so you don't actually know how much you're saving water, for instance. And another reason is that it's still ongoing research. So this term, natural climate solutions, was actually coined last year. So it's, um, I mean, 2017, so it's very, very recent. And it's basically a, a series of approaches that you can adopt to tackle global warming, particularly to promote climate uh, mitigation, looking at land solutions, land-based solutions. So basically, natural climate solutions will be divided into three broad categories. So we're talking about natural and managed forests, for instance. So basically, you can consider whether or not within your watershed, if there is potential for restoration, for instance, within the forest, or if you have a planted forest, how much could you be mitigating carbon dioxide emissions? How much could you be benefiting water quality, for instance? So this is all goes to the forest side, the first category. The second one is agriculture and grasslands. So basically, we're looking at best management practices for food production, because we know there is a lot of pressure to increase production given a growing population. So how are we going to manage that? This is one uh, very important topic, especially within the, the climate change scenario. And uh, last but not least, wetland systems. So this is where you look a little bit more into freshwater, how we have managed our ecosystems, which can help us to prevent some disasters and extreme weather events, such as flooding, which is something that is reoccurring in, in many places. And it has actually been implemented in, in several countries. I would particularly mention Australia in that sense because they have constructed wetlands which are not only helping with their green infrastructure but also acting as a buffer 
to extreme weather events, for instance. So the combination of all of this has demonstrated uh, significant mitigation potential for, for carbon dioxide emissions. And on top of that, we have identified co-benefits for achieving, for instance, the sustainable development goals. So it's this all encompassing theory on natural climate solutions, and there is potential to be implemented. You just need to look at the scale that you're working with, whether you want to have a local or regional impact, you could potentially use those solutions for that. And I know some people look at a water reservoir and they think if it's a big lake or something that the water in some regards is meant to be used as an economic input. Um, but as you're explaining in many stories, sometimes water left as is, is better for the entire watershed. We, if you allow water to go through its natural cycle and just let nature do its thing, uh, it'll actually help everyone out in the long run. So that's where that ties into the governance part, where sometimes you really do need to make an effort to let water do water. <laughs> don't, don't try exactly. and overcomplicate it. Nature can figure it out most of the times. So exactly. with everything you, you've talked about here, um, it's interesting to look at how we've talked a lot about water and water security and, and alternative cl natural climate solutions. How does this intersect with some of the other sustainable development goals? I mean, there's, there's 17 of them. So give us some context on the overlapping intersection of this topic with other SDGs. Perfect. So when I talked about the natural climate solutions, I was really focusing on the climate mitigation potential that you have. So how much you're saving the environment in terms of either decreasing your carbon dioxide emissions or mitigating. By mitigating, I mean basically reducing by the practices that you have. So for instance, when we talk about the forest component of natural climate solutions. We can talk about reforestation. And then when we talk about reforestation, you have some co-benefits that we call ecosystem services, which are basically the services nature is providing you and the benefits we people get from nature. So in a nutshell, all of these natural solutions, they're providing us these ecosystem services. When we look at reforestation, for instance, we're talking about air filtration. We're talking about air quality regulation. And that ties in really nicely with the sustainable development goals. For instance, climate action, which is SDG 13. So by promoting a change in your land use management, such as reforestation within your land use, you're actually contributing to climate mitigation, you're contributing to a series of SDGs, actually, because when you're promoting different actions, you're also empowering, city, uh, empowering communities, for instance, that rely on forests for their livelihood. And in that sense, you're promoting no poverty, for instance, if you think about the economic opportunities of a standing forest. And basically, all of that together will contribute to environment and society. And I think the biggest point here in the SDGs is that you have to consider everyone. It's leaving no one behind. That's basically the main message from, from the SDGs. And when you think about these natural solutions, what they're trying to do is promote a change in land use in such a way that you are directly benefiting society. And when you reach environment and society, ideally, 
you're contributing to sustainable development as well. Wow, fantastic. I love that notion of the economic opportunity of a standing forest, it's similar to what I did mention of just a, a lake just sitting there. And, and too often, sometimes we take an economic focus of this needs to be put into an input, but often doing these other alternative natural climate solutions has cascading positive impacts on these indigenous communities that can use the forest for sustainable logging, use the forest for some type of hunting or some type of craftsman trade. And so I guess last thing here, is there any, any kind of final message you would want to leave this SDG community with as it pertains to water stress, as it pertains to SDG, or what final message would you like to leave the community with? Perfect. I think the SDGs are a great opportunity for collaboration at the global level. And this is a unique opportunity for our generation, for instance, to take into account a much bigger context than our own personal or professional uh, day-to-day lives. And I think it really brings together the environment, economics, society. But it's also important to mention that when you are implementing the SDGs, we often think of the synergies and the co-benefits that we have by implementing land use changes, for instance, by implementing better water governance, which is all true. There are co-benefits, but I think to reach a successful achievement of the SDGs, we also need to consider the trade-offs, which are basically discussed every day in public policy. How, how am I going to implement this? Which is what is the best scale to implement it? Should I do it at the city level? Should I consider it at the regional level? what sectors are more prone to accept a shift in mindset in terms of like economic growth, in terms of environmental conservation. So I think if we consider both sides of the SDGs, both the synergies and the trade-offs, and we are honest about it, we discuss it at the public level, then I think we do have a, a great framework to promote better and safe societies beyond the 2030 agenda, beyond this horizon that the SDGs are providing us. Awesome, Claudia. Well, thank you for being a a change maker. And uh, it was was amazing to spend time with you at the Unleash program. And I can't wait to see what's next in store for you. Thank you so much, Kevin. Wishing you all the best. And let's hope for more of these SDG talks. Thank you. Really enjoyed talking today with our girl boss, Claudia, about the whole dynamic of watershed management and what we can do to rethink all these different aspects of looking at the intersection between water quality and quantity and how there are so many intersections between the two and especially tying into the energy food water nexus where us as consumers really can have an impact of how we go about spending our dollars at the grocery store to then looking at how governments are making decisions in terms of how we're exporting water to create food or how we're importing food to try and alleviate some other water stresses we had. Uh, one of the other really significant points that that was relevant is the whole dynamic of not in my backyard, where just because you're pushing it downstream and it's not in your backyard, it does go somewhere. So always be aware of whenever you're discharging water or whenever you're putting your waste somewhere, it always goes somewhere. So we really need to be careful to make sure we're not over our watersheds and make sure that we're actually following whatever local guidelines are to not make the planet worse off and ideally be good global stewards. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. 
Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community. The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks. Mm-hmm.